Hello, hello. My name is Kristen Hoff, and I am a member of the Women in the Word teaching team. Um, I have two teenage boys who love it when I get to teach um, because they love that I get to share all of their wonderful stories with you, so they are ecstatic today. Um, Several years ago, Santa Claus brought my boys one of his and my childhood favorite movies. Um, When he got this movie for them, he was thinking about how funny it was, how adventurous it was, and still kind of innocent. Um, Santa Claus was wrong. It was not as innocent as he remembered. Um, And because of his failed judgment and memory there, um, the age appropriateness of the movie was not quite what it should have been for my boys at the time. Um, And so as I'm sitting there watching this with them, Um, and cringing at every little bad word and slightly inappropriate joke. I was sitting there trying to judge, should I get up and turn the movie off? Will that draw more attention to it? Or maybe by chance my boys are just so innocent, they don't even catch it. They don't even know what's going on. Um, About that time, my oldest, who was in third grade at that time, spoke up and he said, Mom, there are a lot of words in this movie we can't say. (laughs) And I was like, you are right. I'm so glad you know that we can't say those words. Um, And it was his suggestion. He was like, maybe we should turn it off and try a new movie. And I was like, that is a great plan. Um, Since then, Santa Claus has done his homework a little bit better. He's gone back and rewatched movies before he put them out for the boys to watch. Um, And it's a little bit safer now that we plan ahead. Today, we're going to look at um, three different men who have three different schemes that they have devised and put together so that they can deal with problems that have risen around them because of their sin. Chapter 13 closed with Absalom on the run taking refuge with his grandfather and with David mourning the loss of a son who was murdered and the loss of a son who was on the run. David's heart is still troubled And it's been three years since that infamous day when the sheep-shearing accident happened that Absalom took Amnon's life. Enter Joab. He is the commander of David's armies. He's David's nephew, and he has been by David's side for a long time. He knew the king well. He knew his moods and his emotions, and he could see that the king was troubled by Absalom's absence. It's my opinion that Joab has probably talked to David a few times about this thing that is troubling him and bothering him, but David has so far refused to bring Absalom home. So Joab is faced with a problem. He can see that David is upset and missing his son, and then possibly more upsetting for the commander of David's armies is the matter of secession. David is probably about 60 years old here, and Absalom is heir to the throne. With David the king aging, and the heir to the throne in Geshur, there would most definitely be some issues or problems that would arise if something were to happen to David. Joab had been there with David whenever Saul passed, and he saw firsthand all of the troubles and the problems that came up because of that secession. So he comes up with a plan. So look with me now, starting in chapter 14 of 2 Samuel, in verse 1. Now Joab, the son of Zahur, knew that the king's heart went out to Absalom. 
And Joab sent to Tekoa and brought from there a wise woman and said to her, Pretend to be a mourner and put on mourning garments. Do not anoint yourself with oil, but behave like a woman who has been mourning for many days for the dead. Go to the king and speak thus to him. So Joab put the words in her mouth. So Joab's plan was simple. Let's copy Nathan's plan and change it just a little bit so that it works with this story. He was going to have a wise woman present a story to David that forces him to bring Absalom home. This woman would pretend to be in mourning and then would come before the king with this heart-wrenching, carefully crafted story so that David would have no other choice but to bring him home. Notice here that she's called wise. Um, This is actually the same Hebrew word used last week for Jonadab. So this word can have a few different meanings, kind of like some of our English words do. In Proverbs, this word wise is used over and over and over to talk about good wisdom, godly wisdom. Um, In this case, though, I don't believe that's how it is used. Here it is used more to mean a wise woman who's quick on her feet, who can think quickly. Um, Really, what she is is she's a really good actress with the gift of ad-lib, because she can come up with a story pretty quickly. So it would have been normal for the king to hear grievances from his people. This is how the woman probably got her audience with the king. And the woman comes before David as a mirror image of himself. She is in mourning over the loss of a child that she lost at the hand of another child. So let's take a look at this story that she spins for David. We're going to start here in verse 4. When the woman of Tekoa came to the king, she fell on her face to the ground and paid homage and said, Save me, O king. And the king said to her, What is your trouble? She answered, Alas, I am a widow, my husband is dead, and your servant has two sons, and they quarreled with one another in the field. There was no one to separate them, and one struck the other and killed him. And now the whole clan has risen against your servant, And they say, give up the man who struck his brother that we might put him to death for the life of his brother whom he killed. And so they would destroy the heir also. Thus they would quench my coal that is left and leave leave my husband neither name nor remnant on the face of the earth. So there are a few significant things that we can pick out of this story. First, she claims to be widowed. And therefore, her sons would have been the ones that were responsible for taking care of her. She um, would have been completely and totally reliant on them, and then tragedy strikes. Her two boys are out in the field. Um, They have a quarrel. This must have been a fairly heated argument, um, because one of them ends up killing the other. She has lost one son, and now her family is after her to get the other son because he has murdered his brother. When Israel came out of the promised land, um, after their 40 years in the desert, God had Moses set up cities of refuge. This is so that someone who innocently took the life of another could run there and then be protected and take refuge and seek just judgment in a case where there was an accidental death or murder. They were also given very specific um, instructions on how they were to judge these cases. So look at your verse sheet with me at Numbers 35. Um, We're going to pick up in verse 20. Um, In the verses prior to this, there's a long list of tools that 
may or may not have been used that would have signified murder. Um, and so after they've gone through all of these different tools that were involved and called it murder, it also says, and if he pushed him out of hatred or hurled something at him lying in wait so that he died or in enmity struck him down with his hand so that he died, then he who struck the blow shall be put to death. He is a murderer. The avenger of blood shall put the murderer to death when he meets him. So the avenger of blood had the right to avenge or kill the guilty party if their crime was deemed murder. This is why the woman's family was seeking her surviving son. Um, and then notice what it says in verse 7. It says, And thus they would quench my coal that is left. What she's saying is that they put her other son to death, then her husband would be left without someone to carry on his name. He would have no heir, and she would be left uncared for. This story that the woman and Joab have carefully scripted and put together bears similarities also to the story of Cain and Abel, um, but it also has some similarities to David's situation as well. So in Genesis 4, um, Cain kills Abel out of jealousy. Cain's punishment that's put forth before him would leave him wandering and then also leave him open to be killed in the same manner because of his murder of his brother. However, God mercifully protects Cain from death, which is the punishment that he truly deserved. The woman is implying that she wants this same thing for her own son. Then by extension, this is what Joab is trying to convince David of as well, is that Absalom deserves this same mercy and this same um, waiver of his punishment. So if... Absalom were to perish, she is insinuating also at the same time that David's coal would thus be quenched. He wouldn't have an heir to carry on his name. Um, there's a small problem with that thought is because David has several sons about the same age that could have also been heirs. Um, but that's where they're kind of going with this line of thought. David hears her concerns and he pretty much dismisses her. He says, go to your house, and I will send orders concerning you. He did not say specifically what she was wanting, thus to protect her son. Um, so she won't be dismissed. She continues on, and so let's pick up with how she continues in verse 8. Then the king said to the woman, Go to your house, and I will give orders concerning you. And the woman of Tekoa said to the king, On me be the guilt, my lord the king, and on my father's house. Let the king and his throne be guiltless. The king said, If anyone says anything to you, bring him to me, and he shall never touch you again. Then she continued, Please let the king invoke the Lord your God, that the avenger of blood kill no more, and my son will not be destroyed. He said, As the Lord lives, not one hair on your, of your son shall fall to the ground. So the first thing that she starts with is this idea that any misinformation from her story would be on her. The guilt would be on me. Um, it's kind of an interesting thought, considering that her story is completely and totally made up. Um, but nonetheless, she is saying, if anyone comes back and questions the story, let on me be the guilt. Um, it does look like the king looks on her with empathy. Um, and he tells her that if anyone brings up the matter, he will take care of it. She still is not getting the response that she wants from the king. 
So she shifts her story in such a way that he will feel the obligation to pardon her son and thus also do the same for Absalom. She asks him to make a plea. She invokes the Lord, your God. So what she's asking for him to do is to make an oath. This would have been an oath that was unbreakable after David had said it. And David gives her exactly what she's looking for. He says, as the Lord lives, not one hair, um, and this is going to be ironic in a little bit. We'll figure that out. Uh, But not one hair on your son shall fall to the ground. Finally, she gets exactly what she's wanting, and she has spun this story that Joab had gave her like a spider that makes this beautiful web to catch its prey. Once entangled, the king will have no other option but to also do the same for his own son and then to allow Absalom to come back home. So let's continue reading um, exactly how this spider strikes in verse 12. The woman said, Please let your servant speak a word to my lord the king. And he said, Speak. The woman said, Why then have you planned such a thing against the people of God? For in giving this decision, the king convicts himself, inasmuch as the king does not bring his banished one home again. We must all die. We are like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. But God will not take away life, and he divides his means so that the banished one will not remain an outcast. Now that I have come to say this to my lord, the king, because the people have made me afraid, and your servant thought, I will speak to the king. It may be that the king will perform the request of his servant, for the king will hear and deliver his servant from the hand of the man who would destroy me and my son together from the heritage of God. And your servant thought, the word of my lord, the king, will set me at rest. For my lord, the king, is like an angel of God to discern good and evil. The Lord your king be with you. So one thing is certain, um, Joab picked the perfect actress to deliver this message to David. Um, She is way bolder than she should have been. It would not have been okay for someone to come before the king and keep pressing him like this, nor to chastise him so harshly um, in front of others. So she starts with accusing David of being against the people uh, of God and against God for being, un, uh, for being willing to help her but not help his own son. So this is both a political and spiritual accusation in that by bringing Absalom home was denying Israel of her heir and denying Israel of being without a protector if something were to happen to David. So think back to verse 7 where she talked about quenching the coal, what she's saying is that David is quenching the coal of Israel by not bringing Absalom home. So even notice how she words her accusation. She kind of words it as if David himself had banished Absalom. Absalom fled on his own to Geshur, the home of his grandfather. David did not send him there. He just hasn't called him back home. But I think she used that word banished for a very specific reason. David himself had been banished by a king. He had fled to the wilderness, and he had lived there in banishment for a long time. So he knew exactly what that felt like. However, he also knew what it felt like to be restored and brought back into the fold by the Lord who protected him during that time. I think she and Joab are trying to remind David of this time. 
and remind him that he was the outcast and that he should also bring Absalom home. Um, I kind of would have loved to have seen David's face the whole time that she's giving this um, speech to him because she reminds me about halfway through of what my kids look like when they pushed it just a little bit far. You know, when they're making those arguments and they start coming at you, and then all of a sudden they can read it in your face and know, oh, maybe I should step back. And she goes into all of this flattery, and she starts talking about how wise he is. You were like an angel. Um, I knew that you would deliver me. All things in order to try to step back just a little bit and take that focus off. So at some point in this, um, David does realize that, hey, I wonder if possibly she could be talking about me. Um, Go figure. So he accurately assesses that Joab is behind this whole charade, and he asks the woman if indeed it was him who put her up to this. So she answers with more sweet words to butter him up, And also reassures the king that, yes, Joab was behind this. However, he had good reason. He saw the path that the kingdom was going down, and he wanted to help and make things better. He was only helping. Um, I do want to point out, because this is, I think, an important thought, that when Nathan came to David with his story, David accurately was able to say, hey, This is the hand of God in this. And he had the correct reaction, and he repented of his sin and went forward. When he hears this story, he sees himself in the story, but he also knows that this was not the hand of God. This was the hand of a man trying to put forth a a solution to a problem. David hasn't gotten any points from us for a while, so I wanted to make sure he got that little bitty extra brownie point there. Um, And I do think that Joab's motives were good. I think he saw the king and he saw his kingdom and he saw them walking down a hard path that needed to be corrected. Um, And he really did want to help. But anytime you have to work this hard to manipulate a situation, um, does it ever really work out the way that you think it will? So now we come to David's problem. Even though he would rather not act, he is put into a position where he must Um, We don't know why David is having such a hard time with this. Um, I do think that Lynn's description last week of him being morally crippled or paralyzed is probably correct. Um, He's emotionally still feels the burden and the aftermath of his own sinful choices. He was angry about Tamar. He was grieving his son Amnon, and he missed Absalom. But rather than facing these emotions and the trouble behind them, he shuts down and chooses not to deal with them. Um, so um, I have a new driver. He is, um, he's actually a great driver, and I did get permission from him first before I shared this story. Um, originally, he told me to share it as if um, I was talking about his dad, and so that would have started off like this. Um, I was teaching my husband how to drive the other day. (laughs) He did eventually consent and say, okay, that doesn't make sense. They're going to figure it out anyway. Yes, this is about my oldest. Um, But he's actually a good driver. He's very safe. He, um, however, gets really anxious, and there are certain things he doesn't like to do, like get on interstate. He refuses to get on interstate. 
Um, well, one day I was going to teach him that he needed to. And so I picked him up. He gets in the driver's seat and he needs gas. So I pointed this out. Hey, you need gas in your truck. I need you to turn here and turn here so that we can get on interstate a little bit easier and then we can go to the right place to get gas. He didn't want to do that. So he said no. And I said, um, you still need gas. So he had a better place in mind that he thought would be easier for him to get into. He wouldn't have to get on interstate and he could still do it. That place typically is full of people about the time we were going through. And when we pull up, it was. It was about four cars deep with a line out of the parking lot waiting for people to get gas. So we get there and he's like, I'm not waiting in that. And I said, okay, I didn't think you would want to. Now we need to get on interstate in a different place. This place is a little bit harder, but you still need to do it because we have to get gas. So he makes the curb underneath, uh, the turn underneath interstate. Um, someone randomly cuts him off on the inside and then he's flustered. He doesn't know what to do, but you just need to speed up, speed up so that we can get on interstate. We kind of get on and then there's cars trying to get off everywhere. What do I do now? You just speed up, put your blinker on and get over. He was so angry and so mad and so flustered that he just eventually kind of yelled, I don't have to do this. I don't want to do this. And I very calmly looked at him and I was like, which part? Put gas in the truck or get on interstate? And he said, either. It doesn't matter. I'll never have to do this. I said, bud, you do understand how trucks work, right? They have to have gas to keep going. And his frustration was like, I know that. And I was like, I don't do this for you. You have to do it. It was something hard. He didn't want to do it. We did make it and get gas, and we made it safely home. We didn't die. And he's actually a great driver. Um, I do think he still drives only on the service road, but he will get there, and we'll make it work. Um, but that's kind of where David is. David is stuck in this hard place where he doesn't know how to fix it. I think he knows that he is forgiven, but yet he has not given this guilty burden that he is carrying to the Lord. This is causing more problems for him than you could ever expect, not only because of his family situation, but also because he is king. He has been charged with enacting justice for his people and for his family. And we've seen in David's life, typically the lack of justice causes more destruction than dealing out the justice that is deserved. So when dealing out justice, we need to remember that it is a good thing. And not only that, it's something that God does. It's part of his character. And typically when he offers justice, he also offers that mercy that goes along with it. So look at your verse sheet at Micah 6, 8. It says, He has told you, O man, what is good? What does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your Lord? So how will David choose to act? I think we already know, but let's go ahead and look in verse 21. Then the king said to Joab, Behold now, I grant this. Go, bring back the young man Absalom. And Joab fell on his face to the ground and paid homage and blessed the king. And Joab said, Today your servant knows that I have found favor in your sight, my lord the king, and that the king has granted the request of his servant. So Joab arose and went to Geshur and brought Absalom to Jerusalem. And the king said, let him dwell apart in his own house. He is not to come into my presence. So Absalom lived apart in his own house 
and did not come into the king's presence. So how did David choose to react? He chose a solution that appeared to have action, but he really didn't do anything. He didn't resolve the situation. He agrees with Joab to bring Absalom home to Jerusalem. However, there's a catch. Absalom has to stay out of David's presence in his own home and is still kind of banished. He's banished to his own place in his own dwelling. There's a lot of disagreements on why David may have done this. Um, Was this possibly his way of punishing his son so that the people saw some kind of punishment put forth on him? Maybe this was his merciful way of keeping him from that death penalty, that punishment of death that he was owed. Either way, it does not help the relationship between David and his son, Absalom. So now in this chapter, we hit kind of this interlude. Um, Before we see Absalom's reaction to all of this, we kind of get a little bit more description about who Absalom is and really what he looks like. So pick up with me in verse 25. Now in all Israel, there was no one so much to be praised for his handsome appearance as Absalom. From the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, there was no blemish in him. And when he cut the hair of his head, for at the end of the year, he used to cut it. When it was heavy on him, he cut it. He weighed the hair of his head, 200 shekels by the king's weight, or probably about five pounds. There were born to Absalom three sons, one daughter whose name was Tamar, and she was a beautiful woman. So what seems like a description here about what Absalom looks like is really more of a resume. And this resume sets the stage for Absalom's future plans. It's not a normal resume. It's a kingly resume. This lists all the reasons why Absalom should be king of Israel. No one else in Israel is as praised as Absalom was. He was so handsome. Where his father had refused to bring him home, all Israel could do was talk about Absalom and how great he was. He was so handsome, and I'm sure he knew it. Um, His most prized possession was his hair. Um, I could not imagine carrying around five pounds of hair on my head. Um, And it never hit the ground. He collected his hair every year when he cut it. We're going to see one other time in a few weeks of an instance of how his hair does not hit the ground, but that is something that's significant. Um, One thing that made me laugh when I read this is the first picture that came to my head was of The Rock's character in Moana. So if you have seen that movie, if not, you can Google it later because it's hilarious. But there is a song that he sings, and it says... I know it's a lot, the hair, the bod. What else can I say except you're welcome? Um, Exactly the picture of Absalom that I have running through my head right now. Um, So not only is he this extremely good-looking, handsome man, he's a family man. He has three sons. Three sons would have been a significant cultural idea there. It shows that he has a a dynasty. He has his own heirs in line waiting if something were to happen to him. He has the royal lineage, and then he has these heirs to support him. Um, Unfortunately, these three boys are not ever mentioned again in Scripture. In fact, 
in a couple of chapters, it says that he had no sons. So that means they probably died an unfortunate death young. But he has this daughter, this beautiful, gorgeous daughter that he has named after his sister, Tamar. This would have been significant, and it is a reminder to all of Israel that he cared for his sister, and he also avenged his sister. He is a man of action, and he is the one that they want on their side to avenge them as well. This kind of reminds me of another man in Israel, someone who was loved because of his kingly good looks, King Saul. Saul was a tall and handsome man, and he sought his own glory and not the Lord's. Thus the Lord removed his spirit from him. Let's look at 1 Samuel 16:7 on your verse sheet. It says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. We will soon see what, what Absalom has on the outside may be beautiful, but his heart is not. David is the man that God chose to be king. He is the anointed. Absalom is not God's chosen. So now to Absalom's problem. Absalom is extremely unhappy in his current situation. His problem is twofold. Um, He has been brought out of exile only to find himself in another type of exile. He wants to be out back in the king's presence, probably to regain the status that also comes along with that. Um, He has lived two years in Jerusalem without being allowed before the king. He's smart enough to know that Joab is the key to getting what he wants. So he sends Joab, uh, sends for Joab twice, um, and Joab refuses both times. He will not come to the summons of Absalom. So I kind of have a feeling that Absalom is used to getting what he wants, and so he has no other option than to take matters into his own hands. Let's finish reading in verse 30. Says. Then he says to his servants, See, Joab's field is next to mine, and he is barley there. Go and set it on fire. So Absalom's servants set the field on fire. Then Joab arose and went to Absalom at his house and said to him, Why have your servants set my field on fire? Absalom answered Joab, Behold, I have sent word to you. Come here that I may send you to the king to ask. Why have I come from Geshur? It would be better for me to be there still. Now, therefore, let me go into the presence of the king, and if there is guilt in me, let him put me to death. Then Joab went to the king and told him, and he summoned Absalom. So he came to the king and bowed himself on his face to the ground before the king, and the king kissed Absalom. So Absalom's solution is to set Joab's field on fire and insist on being brought before the king. Makes sense. Um, If I can't get anyone to listen to me, that's always my first reaction. I wonder what I could set on fire. Um, Nope, his plan does get the attention of Joab, though. When Joab goes to Absalom to confront him, Absalom lets his opinion of his current situation be known. Why am I even here? Take me before the king 
and let him put forth my punishment. If I am guilty, then I should be put to death. And then I'm fairly certain he knew the other option, that possibly the king will pardon me and I will be back into the fold. So Joab does go to the king, um, and he gets Absalom in audience with David. It's been five years since father and son have seen each other. We know that David has missed his son, and yet there is no warmth in this reunion. Absalom approaches like a bowed servant and not like a long-lost son. There is no weeping. There is no loving hug. There are no words even recorded that were spoken. David is a man with all the emotions, and yet none are recorded here. This is definitely not a picture of a reconciled father and son. It's a very sad reunion. So what are the results of all of these plans that these three men have put together? Three men, three plans. Joab, with good motives and good intentions, just wanted to get things back on a good course. He wanted father and son reconciled back together, but David's sin has put terrible consequences in motion. He was able to bring Absalom home to Jerusalem, yet true reconciliation did not occur. True reconciliation involves confession and forgiveness, and there is no evidence that either one of those things happened here. David's plan was just not to deal with it. I don't want to deal with what's going on before me. I want to push all the problems away. And yet still, he did eventually have to bring Absalom home, and it sets the stage for more problems to come instead of avoiding them. David's judgment, or lack thereof, is really an indictment of his own leadership here. Look at your verse sheet at Proverbs 21, 15. When justice is done, it is a joy to the righteous, but terror to evildoers. When we see God's justice being carried out, it is a joy. And it reminds those who are against the Lord that he is the one in control. And it gives us that same encouragement. Plus, not only that, it was David's job as king to enact this justice for the Lord. Absalom's plan was just not to be ignored not to be pushed aside. Imagine he felt very justified in his actions, and he felt he was guilty of nothing but avenging his sister. So at first glance, it seems like his plan worked, but it only leads to his destruction. Absalom isn't the only one to set a fire in this chapter. David's delayed acceptance sets the spark of rebellion in Absalom's heart. This is one big, tangled mess. It reminds me of a complicated knot that my kids used to bring to me in their tennis shoes. The more you would pull on one string, the tighter it would get over here. So you'd move over here and pull this one, thinking that you were making it better, when essentially the knot is just getting worse and worse and worse. I hope you noticed one major element of the story that is missing. None of these men are said to have gone before the Lord before they put their plans into action. God's desire is reconciliation, so Joab had the right idea. But how might that have gone differently if he had sought God's plan rather than going to the wise woman? Look at your verse sheet at Proverbs 19.21. 
When justice is done, it is a joy to the... Oh, next one, 1921. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. And then the next one, James 1.5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all, without reproach, and it will be given to him. The only way our plans will ever succeed is if they are aligned with the Lord's plans as well. There are different types of wise women. I want to be the kind of wise woman who seeks the Lord first, rather than a wise woman who relies on her earthly skill and street smarts to make things happen. A wise woman will know how to put God into the equation. She will seek to restore relationships in a godly manner rather than avoiding confrontation. Joab schemed because David did not want to confront his son. God sent Nathan to David to show him his sin and gave David the opportunity to confess, and then God forgave him. This wasn't a malicious uh, confrontation. It was a loving rebuke of God to David. So look at your verse sheet at Colossians 3.13. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. We have to do the same. We can't let past hurts and sins fester and grow We have to confront them lovingly and seek restoration of those relationships. David could have called Absalom home at any time during that five-year period. He could have listened to him. He could have given Absalom the opportunity to confess his sin and then given him the opportunity to repent, just as God had done for David. Then it would have been up to Absalom to make that choice to step forward in that relationship. A wise woman will also know when to apply justice and mercy when reconciling hard relationships. Let's look at Zechariah 7.9. On your verse sheet it says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgment, show kindness and mercy to one another. The world sees justice and mercy as complete opposites and as opposed to one another. But God has shown us that they can be applied together. They're a part of his character. They're a part of who he is. He gave David consequences for his sin, and yet he mercifully still removed that that full punishment of the law. David could have mirrored this and done the exact same for his own son. Why would we not offer the same justice and mercy to others that we have also been given? A wise woman understands that reconciliation takes personal sacrifice. Reconciliation is not easy. Um, By confronting Absalom, David would have had to face his own sin. He would have had to take ownership for his mistakes and for those um, around him that he had affected by his choices. There's one thing in this story that I think is the most beautiful. It is not Absalom's hair. Um, It is instead how this story points us back to Christ. Christ is is our ultimate king, that he, and he will come from King David. He is a king who is true and just, whose emotions and his sins, because he has no sin, will not get in the way of him providing justice for those who deserve it. 
Jesus was sent by God. He has already reconciled our sin. He has restored us to relationship with our Father by taking on our sin and dying on the cross for us. This is the ultimate sacrifice, one that we ourselves couldn't pay because we were not blemish-free like he is. He took on our due justice, which should have been our death, but instead offered mercy. Look at your verse sheet at Colossians 1.19. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. We need to be women who mirror this example and be women who look to the Lord in all we do, from the little things to the big things, when planning our days to planning our futures. We need to seek to restore our relationships so that God can be glorified and that we can mirror who he is. Ladies, pray with me. Dear Gracious Father, I just thank you for um, this opportunity to come together before you today. I just pray for the great gift of your word that we get to read and study and learn more about who you are and your desire for us. Lord, I just pray that your words would be written on our hearts and that you will go with all of the women in this room today um, and just bless them and let them know that they have the love of your son um, ready and open and willing for them. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.